Today on Stick to Football, you get a solo show, just me, Matt. Got a couple special Christmas interviews lined up. Darren Waller of the Oakland Raiders, Eno Benjamin, former Arizona State running back. And if the show sounds a little different, I'm recording this sitting in my living room uh, Christmas Eve. So you might hear Emmett chime in and have a comment about his Kansas City Chiefs or uh, what we're talking about here. But uh, I've told him quiet time. We'll see how long that holds out. But we didn't want you guys to not get your three stick to football shows this week. So Merry Christmas from myself, from Mello, from Connor, from all of us here at the Stick to Football family. We appreciate you guys. We know how uh, important you are to the the growth of this show, the fact that we get to do this three times a week, that we get to go on tailgate tours, that we get to meet up with you guys, even just in random cities. Mello and I were just in Chicago, and it was amazing. Sitting in the stands, and in the middle of the first quarter, the guy sitting next to me goes, wait, are you... Matt Miller, like, oh, I'm a huge listener. And we know how special that is. We don't take that for granted. So thank you to everyone listening to this, whether it's Christmas morning and you're driving to see family or you're getting caught up uh, after the holidays. Um, Just wanted to make sure you guys all know how appreciated you are. To start the show, before we get into the interviews, I thought that I would take a second because, you know, I'm not on this show by myself very much. Uh, I really wanted to talk about some of the rankings that I'm putting together. It's draft 400 time um, as we're we're really getting into that time of year for uh, myself, Mello, Jared Brown will be helping us again this year. So it's, it's draft 400 season for us, basically. And what that means is it's time for me to get caught up on tape evaluation. So much of the college football season this year has been spent. You know, we've been on the road. Um, so a lot of catch up work has to be done. And as that happens, my rankings are going to change those evaluations that the last year that I would have been doing in October, and November. Well, this year they're going to happen in December and January. And so I wanted to take the intro of the show today to talk about some of the movers on my board, some of the things I'm seeing uh, and hearing in conversations with scouts. The the biggest mover uh, for me, and I, I've talked about this on Twitter, is Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama. You know, early in the year when I first evaluated them, I, I was probably like a lot of you. I heard the hype about Alex Leatherwood. And so you start evaluating. And Jedrick Wills kept stealing the show for me. And the more I watched, the more I evaluated his movement skills, his power, um, his versatility as an offensive tackle playing on the right side for Alabama. But I believe he moves well enough to play on the left side. He has a mean streak. I think Jedrick Wills is the best tackle in this draft. And if you guys are a, a listener to the show three times a week, you know that I'm not the biggest Andrew Thomas fan. I know there are some people in the draft community that have him as the top tackle. For me, it is Jedrick Wills, uh, who will debut at number eight overall. I'll have a big board coming out January 1st. Jedrick Wills will be offensive tackle one and will be ranked at number eight overall. Dylan Moses, another Alabama player, gets back in my top 10 where he was preseason. And the only reason he fell down my board was because of injury, a knee injury that cost him his season this year. Now, Dylan Moses hasn't declared for the draft yet as a junior, but I expect that he will. And if he does, the only thing that will keep him down for me would be medicals because of that knee injury that cost him the year. If Dylan Moses is healthy, he's going to be the the second highest ranked linebacker in this class for me behind Isaiah Simmons. He has excellent range. He's a three-down Mike linebacker, six foot three, two hundred thirty-five pounds. Dill Moses. I think we've forgotten a little bit how special he was because we didn't get to see him play this year. But he's one of the big movers for me 
as we start to kind of put grades on players. Another guy who maybe seems like shot up the board, but it's not because of anything he did here recently. It's just when you start to stack the board and put a number grade next to guys, you realize, oh man, I, I really like this player. Why is he so low on my board? That's T. Higgins from Clemson. I've compared him to AJ Green. He's six foot four, 215 pounds. His Virginia game this year, one of the most dominant performances that I've seen all college football season by any player, not just a receiver, any college player. His game against Virginia this year, I mean, his ability to track the ball, what he does in terms of his size, his strength as a route runner. The Clemson pipeline is special at this position, as you guys know, but this Virginia game, nine catches, 182 yards, three scores. So if you get a chance, look that one up. It's a very, very special game for T. Higgins and, and was kind of a reminder for me of, Going back to his freshman year, I talked about this guy as a potential wide receiver one. Had no idea of knowing three years ago how deep this receiver class would end up. But here we are three years later, T. Higgins at number 13 overall on my board and one of the biggest climbers. Now, I did want to take a little bit of time to talk about some of the things I'm hearing from scouts as far as guys that might be overrated in the media and not to point any fingers at anyone. I think especially early in the year, you know, we all kind of look at, at, you know, okay, th- this player's good and there's buzz about him, and then you get caught up this time of year. So this isn't this isn't my time to point fingers at anyone because there's some of these guys that I was a little bit too high on. Uh, I, I want to start with Marvin Wilson from Florida State, and I think there's a good chance that he even goes back to school uh, as a, a junior. He can head back. Had an injury this year, and I think some people look at it and say, okay, well, he got hurt. That's what affects his stock. I felt like even before he got hurt, Marvin Wilson got moved around too much at the line of scrimmage for me to like him as a first-round player. And I think too often we get caught up on the hype for guys. The hand injury, it does affect where I have his stock. But as a junior, I have Marvin Wilson in the fourth round. And I honestly believe the feedback I've gotten from a lot of scouts is that that's where they have this player as a, a day three type guy who needs to go back to school. So... Um, look at Marvin Wilson's stock. I know there's some folks that probably still have him in round one. I think as people update their evaluations, that grade's going to come down on Marvin Wilson. I think he's one of the guys that will drop. Another player uh, who I believe has been overrated a little bit, um, and that's Caleb on Chason. And, and I fall into this trap, too, because, you know, we go on the road, you talk to people at LSU, and... They tell you, man, this guy could be a top 15 pick if he's healthy. The trouble is he he hasn't been healthy a lot. As a redshirt sophomore, he can go back to school, obviously. Uh, but with Caleb on chase on, it's just the production has not been there. There have been flashes, but the overall production has not been good enough for me to grade him as a round one player. I still have him in round two, but he is a guy that has dipped down the board and I feel like has been overrated a little bit by you know kind of the the draft complex uh, as it were so those are two guys and and a third one i'll close this out here curtis weaver from boise state and i know i just recently talked uh, him up a little bit but as a, again getting caught up on the tape evaluation curtis weaver someone i gave a return to school grade on as a redshirt junior i know there's been some feedback from the agent community that he might take that advice might actually go back to school it'll be interesting what curtis weaver does this is not the deepest edge class but i've had him fall pretty far down in my rankings i I have a round three grade on curtis weaver and just have not seen the athleticism you know his size 6'3 255 you'd like to see more athleticism from Curtis Weaver than I've seen not a lot of burst I think you know a little bit limited as a pass rusher in terms of what he's going to be able to do with quickness off the ball so not the biggest Curtis Weaver guy again that these might be players that you see on other draft sites or on Twitter is round one guys and they might be for those evaluators but for me three guys there moving up 
three guys moving down. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back, get into these interviews with Darren Waller, get into it with Eno Benjamin, and then get out of here and wish you guys a Merry Christmas. All right, guys, we have Oakland Raiders tight end Darren Waller on the podcast today, a guy who has had an amazing breakout season this year. We saw you on Hard Knocks, man, and every year for people who watch Hard Knocks, they follow you know one guy that he's going to break out, he's going to have a breakout year, but you actually did it this year. How has that been for you going from – a guy that like the the coaching staff believed in, the front office believed in, but now you have over a thousand yards receiving in your breakout season. Um, I mean it's definitely a uh, new territory, but um, I believe I could be here like in the beginning of the season, um, doing things like this and performing at a consistent level. Um, back in training camp, like I felt like uh, the work I was putting in prepared me for this, and um, so it's a. Uh, I mean, it just feels good to actually put it out there and not just be potential anymore, but it could actually be done. Yeah, I remember evaluating you back in college, actually, and a, a good friend of mine was scouting for the 49ers, and he kept saying, you got to watch this guy at Georgia Tech. And I don't know if he's a receiver. I don't know if he's a tight end, but he's just an amazing athlete. And so the potential has always been there. And something you've been really outspoken about was the year year away from football, uh, the transition from Baltimore to Oakland. How has the Raiders organization been helpful to you in, in turning your story around? Uh, it's been extremely helpful just um, off the strength of the first day I got here. The people that, when I first got here, they introduced me to the people that they knew I would have to have relationships with, like on a personal level to, you know, just uh, function as a person, like the player engagement and uh, like the teams, like psychiatrists and things like that. And they, you know, helped me get set up with, um, one of our coaches, uh, sons, who's uh, like big in the recovery community out here. And so they set me up with the people that I knew I would have to be in with before we even sat down and went over like one single play. So I felt that from the beginning and that really, you know, made it easy for me to transition in and feel like I could thrive here when they, once I knew they cared about me as a person, like I had to care about myself first. But once I saw that they cared about me too, and not just what I could provide on the field, I feel like that, uh, you know, just changed my mindset completely like that very first day. And I felt like this was a good place for me. Yeah, I think you could see that too. I know Hard Knocks is it's TV, obviously, and it's edited, but you, you could see that in their belief in you and how big of a part of this offense you were going to be. When did you realize that, like, I mean, especially with everything that happened with AB, that the offense, especially the passing game, really rolls through you as the tight end? Was there a point in time over the summer or in the preseason when you were like, oh man, like, I'm. I'm going to get my stats in this offense. Um, I mean, just, just from the uh, conversations I would have with, uh, you know, with Gruden, like, and Derek in training camp, and just when they said, like, when the Bulls would be flying, like, you know, like, they would they would come to me just because of uh, how consistent I was during the offseason program and the practices and things like that. So I guess for me, I kind of realized that in week one, like, once I had, I had seven, I think I had seven catches in week one, and that was the most I ever had in any game that I've ever played in. So it kind of, well, from then on, it was like, okay, like this is, and this didn't even seem like it was like too crazy to do. So I felt like that that would be something that I could maintain. I felt like uh, once everything started flying and they started throwing me in that first week, I felt like, okay, like I could be like one of the main contributors. What is Gruden like behind closed doors? I mean, we've all like, I I mean, I I grew up watching him on TV, obviously, and and, am old enough to remember him as a coach a little bit, but, uh, what is he really like when the cameras aren't rolling? Uh, I mean, I like he's like just like you said. I remember watching all the NFL films and mic'd up, and he's li- literally the exact same as the TV yeah. and 
all the clips that you see, like there's literally no change. Like there's no like TV element uh, to him. It's just all him, like consistently all the time, that same energy level and just like the craziness, but in a good way. And uh, he's just really passionate about football. Like I remember people saying that they didn't know if he really cared, that if he was just doing this for himself and his ego when he came back to coaching. But you can tell just by the time that he's in, the, how long you see his escalate in the parking lot, uh, from like how early it is to how late it is. And you can just tell by the way he prepares and the way that he asks questions and uh, like presents play ideas to us that he really cares about football and the relationship with us. So that's what has been really impressive about him to me. Yeah, and this year you guys, uh, I mean, started out six and four. Uh, we're in the mix in the AFC West before before dropping a couple. It's it's been a, an impressive year. And how much though are you guys talking about in the locker room or at, you know even as individuals the fact that you're going to be the Las Vegas Raiders in just a couple weeks? Really, you know, once the season ends, that transition is going to start. Is that something you guys are already? It's kind of has to be in the back of your mind because you know you're moving. It's not very many NFL players have gone through this where you know, all right, in January we're going to be uh, looking for new houses in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely talked about because uh, we're, we're human beings at the end of the day. It's definitely something that is uh, discussed, but not uh, of great importance. It's not discussed like a whole lot, but there are guys that talk about it and. Some guys have already started their transition and you kind of ask questions to them and pick their minds. But yeah, something that's talked about because it is reality. It is picking up and moving your base, like where you've been, where you've gotten comfortable uh, to go. So you want to think about that a little bit in advance and plan accordingly. But it doesn't like dominate our thought process because we still have to finish the season strong. Are you excited about moving to Vegas or is that, I mean, Vegas is one of those places like it's fun to visit, right? But actually living there is going to be a different animal. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm, I feel excited about it. I feel like change has always, uh, been good for me, um, at least recently. And, um, I feel like there's a lot to look forward to there. And just from people that have already begun their transition, they've said that some of the neighborhoods were around where the practice facility will be are really nice neighborhoods, uh, quiet, like, uh, you know, just close knit. It's a nice community. So I'm kind of excited about that. And it's like, you don't have to deal with the madness and, uh, the Vegas that you think of when you first think of it, like there's uh, like good neighborhoods there, good schools, just good areas there overall. So I'm excited to get to know the area a little bit. Yeah, it's not like you guys are gonna be living on the strip. Like you're not getting nah, a penthouse at the Bellagio, right? Nah, that's. I know. If, I speak for myself. I'm not gonna be doing that. Yeah, right. I think when everybody thinks Vegas, like trying to picture Derek Carr living in Vegas. But like you said, there's there's nice areas uh, outside of, of the downtown that everybody knows about. Right. Uh, one thing that, that happened for you this year, uh, well-deserved, but the Raiders gave you a contract extension that'll keep you locked up for, uh, I think, three more years on top of what you, you already had going. And, and we talked a little bit about like the faith that they had in you uh, headed into this year. You're having a Pro Bowl season, honestly. I don't, I don't know if enough people have paid attention to, to the numbers that you've put up, but uh, what is it like to get that security? To go from, I mean, a sixth-round draft pick and you know to, to be with the Ravens and, and a practice squad guy to now you know playing at such a high level and to get that, that long-term security? Uh, I mean, it's, it's great. It's still, I still find myself trying to wrap my head around it because it's just like um, – a little over two, three years ago, I was, you know, probably in one of the worst places of my life and just, you know, very inconsistent, had a lot of bad habits, you know, couldn't really rely on myself. And then now it's like I'm signing a paper for three years uh, and I'm going to be required to be consistent over that time period. And it's like hard for me to look that far down the road, but I don't think that 
I feel like if I just take it the like a day at a time, like I have been that, you know, things like that can be fulfilled and I can still be able to grow in who I am and the way that I play. But I mean, it's definitely an awesome thing. Um, I'm up, but I'm always still trying to wrap my head around, you know, just, all right, don't get too, don't look too far down the road to like the end numbers or like the end, the end game or like a finish line or anything, but just focus on, you know, what we're doing now. And that never stops. When you look at the best tight ends in the game right now, you know, obviously with Gronk retiring, it, it feels like there's been a, a void created, whether it's George Kittle or Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey. I mean, you put yourself in that conversation with those guys as the best of the best. Um, I do. Yeah. I think I, I think my best is uh, with up there with everyone that uh, does play at a very high level. Uh, I don't like to do too much comparing, but I watch those guys' games every Monday. I know at least uh, Kelsey and Ertz every Monday i in the film room watching their games and studying like what they do. And uh, those guys do that at a high level, and I feel like there's nothing that they do that I can't do. So I believe that I'm in that conversation, but uh, I don't I don't put too much uh, – stock into like rankings or anything like that i just feel like i'm up there with them yeah and like you said the numbers this year definitely point to that last question i got for you man and i don't i don't know how much you pay attention to this stuff but as far as the the nfl comeback player of the year i i don't have an ap vote with this but if i did you would be the guy at the top of the ballot is that something that you are aware of or that you you know you look at that as an honor outside of a pro bowl vote that you you hope that you can attach to this really magical season that you've had um that was probably the only personal goal that i like wrote down for this year that i felt like would be cool uh for me to to earn if uh you know if i put myself in that position and to just even be in the conversation or be considered for that award um is 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 good enough for me um and if they pick me that's great but i i feel like just to be up there i know like cooper cups in there and he's had a great season and i'm a big fan of his but uh yeah just to be in that conversation is great to me yeah man well we appreciate it congrats on an amazing year on the new contract everything that you have going for you it's it's been a blast to watch so appreciate your time all right matt thank you man all right guys as part of our christmas special podcast we have one of the best running backs in the 2020 draft class eno benjamin from arizona state eno welcome to the show man Hey, Matt, how's it going? I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, and so you are an, an interesting case in this year's draft class because you uh, actually decided to leave school early, declare for the draft, but you have graduated from Arizona State already, so you're able to participate in the Senior Bowl, which you know we are a huge part of. We're big fans of what Jim Nagy's doing there. What went into your decision to not only declare early but also to participate in the Senior Bowl? Oh, uh, really? Um, it's been something that's always been on my mind, even before I got to Arizona State. Um, I knew that if you were able to graduate, you're, uh, you'll be uh, eligible to play in the bowl game. And so that's something that I kind of worked for, um, uh, worked towards and kind of motivated myself. Um, and just now being in the position, um, I feel like it's a, a great way, you know, just to jump in front um, and get some experience in front of these GMs, these coaches and stuff like that. Um, and so, um, like I said, something that I, um, I've always been talking about uh, or been talking about since before I got to Arizona State. And so just to see it come to fruition um, is an amazing feeling. Yeah, and and looking into your story, um, you know, I've been watching you play college football for, for two years, obviously. First team All-Pac-12 the last two years. Uh, but you were an amazing high school running back there in in Texas. 
And you originally committed to the University of Iowa. Is that right? I seem to remember you initially being a Hawkeye, yeah. uh, but then you end up at Arizona State. And obviously, a uh, different climate, very, very different type of football they play uh, in, in Tempe. Why did you make that decision to go Arizona State over Iowa being a Texas guy? Uh, really, um, I kind of always wanted to go to the Big Ten and run the football. Um, things just didn't play out as far as um, going up to Iowa. Um, as far as distance, things just didn't work out. Um, and with that, I felt like Arizona State, um, like you said, better climate. I had family out there. And also, that was one of the places I visited um, before decommitting from Iowa. And then also being in a um, being an early graduate from high school, didn't have much opportunities to go visit um, or take official visits elsewhere. Um, and so Arizona State is kind of the place that was always in the back of my mind. Um, and I felt comfortable with the coaching staff there. They had Coach Graham. He was a Texas guy. So I kind of felt comfortable knowing what I was going to get into and stuff like that. And also my running back coach. And so um, I felt like that played a huge part in me ending up in Arizona State. For people who aren't familiar with your game, I think one of the things that stands out to me as a draft evaluator is that you are hugely impactful in the receiving game, which, you know, when we go to break down college running backs, that's one of the first things you look for is, all right, what can this guy do on third down? You caught like uh, 70, over 70 passes uh, the last two years. How much of that part of your game is that something that you're ready, not just to show a mobile, but when we get to the NFL scouting combine and your pro day and when you're doing these interviews with teams that you're coming into the NFL pro ready as a receiver where that's something a lot of the, the running backs in this class can't say the same thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I felt like Herm um, kind of put me in a, a good position to succeed at that. Um, I felt like I've always been um, comfortable catching the football. And so um, it's n- never been any problem. Um, I went up to Herm and I was asking him, you know, can we get more balls thrown my way? And he thought that was a good idea um, because that would take hits off my body as far as running in and out um, inside between the tackles. And so, um, like I said, I felt like I've always been comfortable catching the football and just not seeing how the NFL is shaping today um, as far as pass catchers. Um, so that's the one thing that could definitely help me. And at Arizona State, like you said, you plan under Herm Edwards. And I'll tell you, man, when you guys hired him, I was skeptical. I <laughs> thought, here's this guy who's been on TV. You know, he, he's been out of the NFL for a while. How is he going to relate to these college players? I was wrong, uh, number one. You guys had a, a really uh, successful year this past year going to 7-5. What is Herm like when you get him in the locker room or kind of behind closed doors? Um, at first, I was a bit skeptical at first, uh, at, um, as well, uh, when he was first hired. Um, when you hear all the re- rumors going around, you're like, no, there's no way it's going to be Herm from this. I did some research on Herm. Herm comes from a military background, and just thinking like, oh, we just had Graham. We thought he was a pretty structured, strict guy. And now we're going to go have this NFL coach. It's going to be even worse. Like, like everyone just needs to get out, like just stuff like that. Um, but no, when he came in, um, when he came in, he was like, the first thing he told us um, was, I'm going to allow you to be yourself. Um, and he, he really lived that. And I think players really respected that because as far as Coach Graham, when um, he was in there, everything had to be the same. You know, no earrings in the building, no hats in the building. You couldn't wear, you had to wear a certain thing. Um, and I think with more, uh, with her more so, it's, um, you're allowed to be yourself. If you, if you wear earrings on the regular, you can come into the, um, the facilities with earrings. Um, if it's cold out and you want to wear a beanie, you can wear a beanie. Just let people be comfortable with themselves. And so I felt like that was a, a, a great change from the year before, and it just made people want to go out there and play for her even more. 
Yeah, and and like I said, the offense has been so much better than than I expected. Because like Herm's a defensive guy, you know, you think oh the defense is gonna be great, but this year, I mean, last year your production was crazy, uh, sixteen hundred yards rushing. Uh, it tailed off a little bit this year, but the offense opened up. Jaden Daniels had a hell of a season. Brandon Ayuk, a guy you're gonna be in in Mobile with as a Senior Bowl participant. That offense seemed like there were times where no one could stop you guys. Did you all ever get that feeling where with Jaden, with Brandon, with yourself in the backfield and what we were talking about with what you can do as a receiver that this is one of the best offenses in the Pac-12? Yeah, no doubt. Um, as the season progressed on the long, um, I think really after somewhat that Utah game when we hit a wall, um, we kind of we had to go back and figure out um, – what we got to do or what we needed to do to be successful. Um, and then, so we went on a little four game dry spell, um, but I felt like in practice in every one of those weeks, um, we could feel, uh, feel ourselves getting better and better. Um, and we always kept that positive attitude. Jaden's mature way beyond his years. And, uh, for, uh, for a freshman quarterback to go out there and do the things he did, um, is, is outstanding. Um, and then on the other side, um, Brandon, it's crazy because, just the fact that he said, um, now that Nikhil's gone, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And the fact that he's gone out there and done it is, is outstanding as well. I mean, remarkable. Um, and so when you talk about the offense, um, I, like I said, I think the offense was coming together in the last few weeks. I mean, it was getting stronger and stronger. And just the coaching staff that Herm, um, put in place, um, they put us in a position to succeed. Um, and now even I feel like the new coaching staff, um, that he has um, going on as far as um, a new offensive coordinator. Um, I think they're, they're poised to do great things in the future. Now, as far as the draft goes, uh, you're prepping for the Senior Bowl. Uh, you're working out of Exos, I believe. What what all is going into your draft prep? You know, we see guys try to you know, work on pass protection or work on running routes or some running backs try to gain weight, some try to cut weight. What is going into your process right now as you get ready for the Senior Bowl? Uh, really, I guess you would say um, staying fresh, um, not taking a break. Um, so um, I'm out here. I'm working with Exos. Um, I'm out here in Dallas. Where I'm from, and so I've got my trainer. We're working on the little things um, as well, um, running routes from um, the slot, running routes out of the backfield, and also just little things as far as stance on pass protection and um, stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's a it's a huge process, man, and there's so much that goes into it. How much have you seen the other running backs that you're going to be competing with in this draft class? You know, DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris, J.K. Dobbins. Um, assuming they all uh, enter uh, enter early in this draft, how much have you paid attention to the competition you're going to have? Um, I, I would say, I mean, I, I grew up with those guys, um, even through high school, it was competition the whole time, and so. Um, I know what those guys are capable of, um, and there's there's a lot of us, and so I, I feel like that's what makes this class great, is because you really don't know what's going to go on, and, and you just got to be ready. So um, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great feeling going out there and competing with some of the top guys in this running back class. Yeah, man, we are looking forward to it. Uh, Mobile is a great atmosphere to to watch football for you guys to showcase your skills so it's gonna be a good one you know i appreciate your time man thank you for for calling in today i know everyone's gonna really enjoy this interview and and good luck the rest of the way man yeah thank you man have a good one yes sir okay guys that is our show again thanks to darren waller thanks to eno benjamin for hanging out with us on stick to football Uh, we have an exciting friday show plan we're going to break down a lot of the college bowl games it's a huge weekend for college football so make sure you come friday morning mellow connor myself will be on the show breaking down the weekend that is Um, i've got a little guy sitting next to me who's patiently waited for this podcast to end emmett what would you like to say to everybody 
Merry Christmas, hook 'em horns. There you go. Merry Christmas, hook 'em horns. The future of Bleacher Report. Little Emmett Miller. All right, guys, that is our show. We'll talk to you Friday morning. Thanks for hanging out with us. Mm-hmm.